Good evening. We're coming up towards the end of towards the end of the shurim, which are hopefully a preparation for the holidays. Recap the few halachas that we finished off with in the previous year, with regards to boss of the etc. How to run your kitchen in your holiday home, and then we'll move on to tefillas haderech. I really need to shout them out, don't I? We'll we'll move on to tefillas haderech and one or two halachas which are interesting halachas which might come your way when you do go a little bit of touring in, in the summer period. So just to recap what we learned last week, two weeks ago, we discussed the halacha of using a par of keili for cold milky or cold meaty or vice versa, using a meaty keili or milky keili for cold par of in a situation where you definitely will clean up the keili afterwards and wash it properly, then we said that's perfectly permitted. So for instance, to whip your milky cream in your power of Kenwood, etc. It's fine, as long as you definitely do, and we definitely do wash everything up clearly, carefully afterwards, there'll be no residue of that milk left, then you can be makele and definitely use your power of, for your power of kalim to, to uh, pros- process and prepare milky or meaty foods, as long as they're all perfectly cold. We then dis- came out with a couple more colors, based on the shurim that we've learned up until now, and that is that you can even wash your power of crockery, cutlery, and your jinx, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Graydon, I'm sorry. You can even wash your pair of crockery and kalim, etc., in a milky sink or in a meaty sink as, with hot water and soap, as long as the sink is perfectly clean, because what we w- the, the worry that the infusion of meat, which is in the meaty sink, or milk, which is in the milky sink, will come out and then enter into your, into your power of kalim, and from there enter into your food, and then you might end up eating it together with your meat or your milky, whichever the case may be, is not really a worry, because it's secondary and third generation infusion of, of taste, which we said is a non-entity when it comes to boss of a cholov, and therefore there's absolutely nothing wrong in washing up your power of kalim in a clean, but it must be clean, there must be no residue of food left, either milky or meaty sinks. The, we went one stage further, though it's a bit more difficult to actually practically Follow this kula is even in a dishwasher. You could if your dishwasher was perfectly clean, but I've yet to see a perfectly clean dishwasher. But if you can actually clean your dishwasher perfectly, that means the filter area, the air around the door, around the rubber, etc., is perfectly clean. No residue of milky or meaty there at all. You could then run through a cycle of paraf even in your dishwasher. But that's uh, something which the poskim will make on, but perhaps, uh, practically speaking, is more difficult to actually accomplish than one imagines. However, we followed on with that and said that that's all very well in your own home, washing up parava in your milky sink or your meaty sink, etc., where there's no, no issues of secondary infusion of taste because it's all in taste which is really mutter, and once a taste is mutter, secondary infusion is always considered, second generation taste is considered mutter, it's considered a non-entity. However, when you're dealing with, with second generation of taste which originated from something which is osa, from trafus, then it can go through as many generations as you like, it always remains osa. So therefore, to use a, a non-Jewish sink in a holiday home to wash up your crockery and cutlery is completely forbidden because you're washing with hot water in a, in a non-Jewish sink which has infused in the walls of the sink the trafus, the food which is completely traf, and however many generations and however many different, different cycles it goes through, that taste remains osa. So therefore, you cannot wash up your crockery and cutlery in your holiday home unless you have a bowl or unless you cover your sink or if you really want to be, want to ruin your holiday, you cash your sink. Cashing your sink means 
that you have to make sure your sink is perfectly clean, which is very difficult in a, in a, in a holiday home. It depends which star holiday home you've been zeichet to get. But the, on the average holiday home, it's probably pretty dirty. And you've got to make sure it's pretty, it's completely clean. You have to then wait 24 hours from when you enter in the home because you have no idea when it was pre- previously used for hot trafers. You have absolutely no idea. And even though they say that you have to be out of your home by 10 o'clock the, the, that morning, but very often people don't leave until many hours later. So you can never be sure that the sink has not been used on the day that you arrived in, the, in, in, in your holiday home. So you have to wait 24 hours from then, make sure it's perfectly clean, and then cashier it. If you have an Evan Malubin, as we discussed on, on Eric Pesach, or even just a boiling kettle, use your boiling kettle, fine. But to get it completely, perfectly clean and be able to do that, it's simple just to take a bowl with. We then discussed using the non-Jewish kettle in the holiday home. And we, we said there's two issues of concern with a non-Jewish kettle. The first one, which is not such a, a worry, but though it does happen, and I know people frowned at it last week, two weeks ago, but it does happen, where people use their kettles to boil instant soups. Uh, we don't understand what that means, but they take these uh, instant cubes and they just drop it into the kettle, and as it boils, they have a, a, a soup made for supper without any effort at all. You can't be sure that that's not happened. Therefore, you, the worry is that the kettle has actually had non-kosher food cooked in it, but more of a worry is that, and this is something which is very common in the kitchen, when you're boiling food in a pot and you want to add hot water, you boil your kettle and you pour the kettle on top of your food, on top of your pot, and the steam rising from the non-kosher food will rise and hit the hot kettle, which is hot from just being boiled, and therefore the, the taste of the tray for food will be imbued into the walls of the, of the kettle, and when you now boil your kettle and make your tea with it, you are bringing out the, you're extracting the taste from the walls of the kettle into your water and there's no second generation, third generation taste here because it's all trafers and therefore we have a problem. So ideally, if you can take with your own kettle or travel kettle, you're far better off. The, the, we then moved on to talk about bread toasters. Uh, bread toasters... So then the only worry there is, did somebody put the drop in uh, a soup cube? Which is less of a worry. Uh, so it's, I can't say... It's also because it's, it's not a, a, a 100% common everyday occurrence that people drop in soup cubes, but it's a worry. I can't, I can't answer that. Why? With a soup cube. With a soup cube, it's more of a worry, yeah. But, but is it, it's, you know, I don't know how common it is. It's something which is on the market and something which is a possibility. I can't tell you that they do or they don't. You know, I haven't uh, stood on Goldsgren Road and taken the consensus of people and asked them how the... Uh, sorry for driving that. Bread toasters. The problem with the bread toaster is that uh, it's almost an impossible thing to clean. If you've ever tried to clean your bread toaster for Pesach, you will see that it's almost impossible to clean. And, and non-Jewish bread nowadays is not just Pasachim anymore. Most non-Jewish breads are treif. Uh, they have oils mixed in them, they have fats mixed in them, and they are really... And even if the bread is made up of just plain bread of flour and water and, and sugar and salt, but the, they often smear the cans, the tins that they bake them in, with, with fat, so we, we have to make the assumption that modern day bread, non-Jewish bread, is treif. There are breads out on the market which come with a Swadi kashras, which is pas akum, just for, for people's information. It is pas akum, but they verify that there's no treifus in the ingredients and in the tins, that that loaf of bread is where it's baked and how it's baked, but most other breads are treif. Um, the other bread, even the Swadi kashras bread, which is sold in, on, in, in the supermarkets, is pas akum. By their own admission, it is pas akum. So therefore, to use a non-Jewish Toaster, which is almost impossible to clean, really means that you are using a machine that has had a tray for bread 
uh, toasted inside it and ideally should be avoided. We then moved on to ovens and again uh, I'm not sure which holiday homes you go to but the ones that we go to the ovens are usually filthy and to be able to casher the oven um, is almost almost an impossibility besides the fact that we've discussed it and many times that ovens are very difficult to cash at the best of times even if they're 100% clean so the, the simple thing to do when it comes to cashing the oven, when it comes to using an oven is to double wrap to double wrap food means you place it in a just for an example a silver foil tin with a lid on and then you put, take another piece of silver foil and you wrap it on all four sides once you don't have to wrap it seven times around just once and then you are fine you can put that in your, into your oven and allow it to cook you will need slightly longer to cook it because it's got to go through uh, two layers of foil but it should work fine same works in the microwave in the microwave exactly the same thing it's very difficult to clean a microwave uh, there's lots of corners and crevices where where food explodes in the microwave and enters in all different different cracks in the, in the microwave very difficult to clean and therefore to cash a microwave is difficult and again at the best of times to cash a microwave is difficult so double wrap them in, 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 uh, with plastic two, two double plastic bags in the microwave the only thing you have to be careful is that there's not too much of a build up of steam inside the bag so that it will just burst and you'll end up with problems uh, if you cash it if you put it onto the paralytic but do you know any holiday homes that have paralytic oven? really really amazing I won't ask you how much you paid for it <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Cooker tops. Uh, cooker tops, we explained that if it's a gas, a gas top, then I- in truth the pan rests cash themselves as the, as the gas is burning. It, it is perhaps ideal to put the gas on and let it burn for a few minutes just to burn off any residue of food that might be around on, on the pan rest. But really the pan rests cash themselves and don't really need, need covering. The spill tray is a problem because that often has hot food spilling over onto the spill tray with the steam rising up and there's trafers in, I, imparted into the spill tray and the ideal thing there is just to put the pot, put a piece of silver foil around the base of the pot, you know, wrap, pull it out the sides like a, make a little wrap around, just not around the whole pot, just around the base of the pot, so if it spills over, even if the steam does come up, it won't hit the pot, it'll hit the, the silver foil on the outside, if you want to cover the whole silver tray with, the whole spill tray with silver foil, that's fine, that's not the same thing again. Uh, a ceramic hub or a, or a glass top can't be cashed at all and therefore if you buy a piece of silicone from Shuttlers you can just put a, a silicone mat on top and you've covered it and you're fine the same is with an agar anybody who's ever been on holiday with an agar will know that an agar is a type of an oven which doesn't have any uh, settings to it there's a bunch of different um, I don't know what you call them, ovens and tops, etc., which are at a, at a set temperature, and you just juggle them around from one, from one uh, pan rest to the other, from one oven to the other, to get, till you get your food exactly right. Um, but again, they can't be cashed. The simple thing to do is just cover the pan rest with a piece of silver foil, and you're fine. Work surface. The work surface in a holiday home doesn't really need to be cashed if it's clean, the only problem with, with, with uh, work surfaces is if you're going to put down hot food, hot pans, onto the, onto the work surface, then there is a worry that perhaps there's trafers imparted bleers, taste of trafers into, in the work surface, and you might spill some, some food on it, or there might be some water on the, uh, on the work surface, and when you put your hot pot down, it'll bring out the taste from the work surface, so at least the area where you're going to place your pots, etc., should be covered so there shouldn't be any worry of that. But otherwise, you don't really have to worry about a work surface. If you want to be from and you're worried that there might be some residue on the work surface remaining, even after you've cleaned it, or on your table where, where you're going to be eating, you're worried there might be some residue there, which is 
not a worry that you shouldn't worry about. It's possible. And us lot who are so squeaky clean, we do get a little bit put off by using a non-Jewish table. Then fine, then you can cover it. But misad Allah, there's no real chiv to have to cover it. We then moved on just for a few moments to discuss a couple of halachas with regards to knives. Though even though a knife, uh, even though cold food, we don't worry about imparting taste from one food to a keli, to a vessel, or to a knife, or to a spoon, or to another food. When it comes to knives, there is slightly different halachas. Because a knife is used through pressure, you cut. You pressure, you cut with a knife. Therefore, Chazal were worried that the surface of the knife cannot be fully cleaned. It cannot be fully cleaned. You've washed it in this, under the sink with water, hot water, and soap, but yet a residue will remain. And therefore, in certain instances, they required a slightly different process to clean it, other than just washing. It doesn't need cashering, but they need a different process. So, for instance, if you would cut a, a, a hard cheese, a hard cheese is, as we've discussed, something which has been matured for six months, a hard cheese with a meaty knife, then in real terms, what you've done is nothing. You've cut something cold with a meaty knife. Okay, you have to clean it, make sure there's no residue left, and then you should be fine. However, here Chazal told us, but since you pressurized it, you pushed the knife down through this hard cheese, the duchka de sakina, the pressure of the knife in the hard cheese, makes the residue of the cheese stick to the knife to the extent that even through cleaning with hot water and soap it will not come off. And the only way around it, Chazal tell us, is what we call Ne'itza. Ne'itza is that you have to stick the knife into the ground ten times. Ground which is not too hard, hard and not too soft. Ten different places. You stick it once in ten different places in the ground. Ground which is not too hard, not too soft. That will, will remove any residue of cheese that's left on the knife and then your knife is absolutely perfect. The same applies we discussed that Chazal said you shouldn't use a milky knife to cut bread or a meaty knife to cut bread, because you might come to use the remainder of the bread for the opposite meal, and that the Chazal didn't allow, because again, there might be a residue of milk on the, meat, on the milky knife, or a residue of meat on the meaty knife, and you're going to end up using the bread with the opposite type of meal. Therefore, again, Chazal said you shouldn't. If you have no other knife on holiday, you talk with you just one sharp knife, and have to be milky or meaty, whatever it may be. So again, there's two options. Either you can do an eats on that knife. If you put the knife ten times in the ground, which is not too hard and not too soft, you have definitely clean that knife and then you're allowed to use that knife for bread and use that bread for any type of meal that you want and be the evidence if you can't do that because it's a bit of a difficult to know exactly which earth is not hard and not soft and you, you, you try and get it right if you use steel wool rub it, clean it with steel wool and a bit of soap according to most poskim steel wool does, has the same effect as an eater so in a situation like this where there are anyway poskim who are slightly makele when it comes to cutting the bread that would, get, that would solve the problem and that would be fine One second, in and out, in and out. We discussed last time that last time that 24 hours in, in the ground does absolutely nothing. No, so we we explained a while back that onions a few shurim ago onions is different because it's a dover chorif, and pressure, pressurizing a dover chorif is it has the same perhaps is, is more stringent than cooking. So if you cut an onion with a meaty knife or mashed it with a, a meaty fork, your onion is now meaty. You cannot eat it together with milky at all. So it's far worse. Mashing with a fork is the Any pressure, any pressure is the same. And finally, we finished off in the previous share with this uh, slightly more gruesome halakha, that if you cut a, uh, a fruit and you found as you opened it up that you've cut right through the worm inside it, you don't have to worry, even though there's a duchka to sakina, even though you have pressurized the knife through an article, through a, a worm which isn't, cost it to be eaten, but you don't need to do an eat today, you don't need to press, push it in the ground ten times, just clean it thoroughly and you're fine. 
And that brings us to the end of the, well, the end. It's not the end. It's just the, a, a rough guide to the halachas, which are kitchen-based and, and, uh, and neger to a person going away on holiday. We'll now move on to some halachas of Tfilis Aderech and one or two other halachas which are pertinent and might come your way if you do go touring in the holidays. Now, Tfilis Aderech, just as by way of, a, of an introduction, is an extremely difficult halacha to, to be clear on because as we go through the halachas, you'll see the criteria for Tfilis Aderech are so complicated that in modern day in, in modern day living, at least in, the, in, in Western countries, most of our countryside is within a certain distance of a town. And therefore, that does create problems. As we'll go through the halachas, you'll see it does create a little bit of problems. And we'll tell you, hopefully, practically how to behave and how, when, yes, you can say to us, when you can't say to us, it's not as straightforward as one sound. It sounds. You don't just get into a car and then start saying to us, there's quite a lot of criteria tied in with Hilfus Tullus Adarach. So let's just make a start, and we will get through them all today. It's not, not that complicated, but uh, it, you, if you find at the end of the year that Tullus Adarach isn't exactly what you thought it used to be, please, that is exactly how Tullus Adarach is. It's a complicated halacha. The Gemara tells us in Brachas as follows, Amr Reb Yaakov, Amr Reb Chista, anybody who goes out on a journey, a wayfarer, anybody who goes out on a journey, he must say a Tullus a special Tullus, Tfilas Aderech, the wayfarer's, uh, wayfarer's prayer. Tfilas Aderech, he has to say a special Tfilah. Om Abaya, Abaya adds a little, little uh, anecdote to it, and he says, L'oilom nishatev insha nafshe bahaditzibur. A person should always connect himself together with the congregation, with the public. That means like this. Abaya is telling us that when one says Tfilas Aderech, you might be traveling on your own in a car, and you're a single person going on a single journey on your own, but yet when you say your Tfilas Aderech, you shouldn't say it in a singular tense. As if I am travelling and therefore I am asking Akkadish Baruch personally for a, 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 to look after me. But you should say it in plural tense. That way you are joining the whole Sibyl, all wayfarers together within your Tfilah. And Rashi tells us, When you join your Tfilah together with the Rabbim, together with the public, it's not a personal Tfilah, then there's much more chance for your Tfilah to be heard. And therefore I'll read you out the beginning of the Tfilah Saderich, because you'll see that the whole Tfilah Saderich is written in the plural tense. So it starts off, means you should lead us in peace. You should lead us in peace. And means you should emplace our footsteps in peace. But it's again in the, in the plural tense. Or you should, you should guide us in peace. Again, all in the plural. Should, again, you should make us reach our destination in, with life, simcha, and shalom. These are all in the plural tense. Now, here there's a slight difficulty in the Nusach. We in Minigashnaz don't say the next two words. The Sachzerein Lashalom. Sachzerein Lashalom isn't part of our, our Tulus Aderech. Others do say the Sachzerein Lashalom. Sachzerein Lashalom means you should return us in peace. Uh, it, it, whether you should say it when you're on an outward journey and you intend to stay there for two weeks and come back in two weeks' time, or if you're only traveling there and back in one day, are you mechayyuk to save a sachzerin shalom? It's totally irrelevant. The question here is, is it part of the nusach of, of the Tula Sadarach? Is it not part of the nusach of Tula Sadarach? And that's a big machlekes amongst the Paschim. The Gon does have it in his, in his nusach of Tula Sadarach. He actually prints it on the side of the Gomorrah. He said you should add it into the Gomorrah, the words of sachzerin shalom. You should return us in peace. And the, our nusach is, we don't have it in there and we don't say it. There are those who do. If you do say it and you don't say it, it doesn't ruin the bracha as such. The question just is, what is the minig l'chatchila? And that's, that's a big machlekes. But sachzerein l'shalom, whether it is part or isn't part, 
it's, it's up to the Minogim. Personally, I, don't, I think the Minogim is not to say it. We then move on in the Brach and we say, We beg when we spell it, we ask the to save us from any enemies, bandits, highwaymen, evil animals, etc. Now, here starts the first problem in Tfilis Aderech. I have yet to have come across a highwayman or a bandit or any wild animals on any journey I've taken round Britain. So, why on earth? Am I saying Tfilis Aderich? And this is again the beginning of the first controversy in Tfilis Aderich. Is was Tfilis Aderich set up because of highwaymen and bandits and wild animals, which if you stretch, stretch your mind back to the, a few hundred years ago, was the common source of trouble on any journey? Or was it set up for any type of trouble? Is it a real, the real reason or is it just figurative? Does it mean... It's a nice way of saying any trouble on my journey. And that's already the beginning of the first controversy in Tfilis Adarach. And if it's literal, then we might as well stop this year now and we'll go home. Most parts can take on that it's figuratively, and what we really mean is any trouble that we find on the way. Chayzroiz doesn't have to be literal Chayzroiz. There's many Chayzroiz in cars as well. Uh, Bandits doesn't have to be uh, uh, human bandits. It can be uh, perhaps uh, spiritual, uh, mazikim, etc., so and that's how we take on the halacha. That's the minig. That's how we, we've accepted the halacha. That the meaning of mikapkol oyev oyev elistim chayzros isn't to be taken literally, but rather it it's, uh, encompasses all troubles that we find on the way. So we're talking about the worry of of, of a chassidshon car crash, or the worry of being stuck in the middle of nowhere and, and being being started on by uh, by uh, un, unruly people. Whatever might cross in a person's a person's path on a journey is tefilah is there to cover to cover that. So that's where we start the Alok Sotilosadarach that yes, it doesn't quite match the Nusrach that we say, the, the wording that we use in Tfilosadarach doesn't match our society, but we have to take that as a, just as a broad, figurative meaning for trouble. Any trouble that, that, that we meet on the way is included in Tfilosadarach. The bracha finishes off, Baruch Atah Hashem Shemeyat Tfilah, because it's a bracha, it's a tfilah, but a tfilah which Chazal set up in the Nusach of a bracha. We'll come back to that a bit later on, towards the end of this year. The, the difference is, the fact that it's a bracha does have practical halachic differences, and we'll come back to that towards the end of, to, towards the, end of the uh, year. Many of us say at the end of Tfilah Sadech, different psukim, the Yaakov Halakladarkei, Sam Sidi Shosh Kvisi Hashem, the Kafachayim actually tells us that if you want to be sure that you'll arrive at your destination in peace, and you should say Lam Naseach Miginez Mizmashir seven times with Kavona. Please don't do that if you're driving. There's many other Minhagim. Uh, Arizal has his own Minhagim what to say on the journey. These are all lovely additions and nice schoolers and little psukim which we say as, as the schoolers for Shmir on the journey, but they are not part of Tfilosadarch. The Chi of Tfilosadarch, if there is a Chi of Tfilosadarch, it's purely to say the Brach of Yihirotsoin, right with Yutashmiat Tfilah. All the rest are nice little additions, but they are not an integral part of Tfilosadarch and do not need to be said if you, t- you don't have the time for it. Tfilis Adarach ideally should be set standing up. Ideally Tfilis Adarach should be set standing up. But this poses a problem for us because if you're driving 70 miles down the motorway and you start standing up to say Tfilis Adarach, your Tfilis Adarach is going to be useless. Uh, I'm afraid you, you, it's not going to help you. With all the Kavani you put into Tfilis Adarach, you are chas going to end up in serious trouble. So, though Tfilis Adarach ideally should be set standing up, but if you can't stand up, or if standing up is, a, is, a, is going to be bothersome for you. So to the extent that the halacha tells us if you're traveling on, on, a, on, a, 
on a donkey and it's a bother for you to get down and stand up, then be the average, you don't have to stand up, you can say sit down, sitting down. So if you are in a car and the driver says, please don't stand up, and you're blocking my, my rear view mirror, do not stand up, you really shouldn't stand up. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't stand up, you only stand up if you can stand up. So, if you're traveling on a train, and we'll discuss a bit later whether you do say to this derech on a train, you don't, we say you do, then, and it's possible for you to stand up and say to this derech, then perhaps ideally you should stand up. If however by standing up you're going to irritate the gentleman or the lady who's sitting next to you, then of course, don't stand up. So, the, the halakha of standing up is very much dependent on the circumstances, and each one of us has to use the little bit of intelligence that we do have to see whether the circumstances allow us to stand up or doesn't allow us to stand up. Is it right I will tell you to say the Tzadarech when you're approximately seven miles? I will tell you exactly when to say Tzadarech. Blineida. Not on the map, but uh, in mileage. <coughs> the minig, the halacha, the way we pass is that we do say Tzvilas Aderech on a train, we say Tzvilas Aderech on a car, we say Tzvilas Aderech according to most Paskim, though this is a big machlekes, even on an aeroplane. Now the reason why the, the aeroplane controversy, why an aeroplane is a, is a controversial halacha is because we have the minig, for instance, in shul here not to say hagomel on an aeroplane. Uh, Rabbi Feldman Paskim, a while back that we don't say hagomel on an aeroplane, uh, many Paskim agree with that, many Paskim disagree with that. And the question here is that Chazal fixed the tefillah of tefillah saderech for somebody who's going on a journey which is called a derech on the way. Can you call flying in an airplane being on, on a derech or you were just in the middle of the sky? And that's really the, the, where the controversy starts without going through the, the, the proofs that each, each side brings from, from the different Gomorrahs. Do you call flying in, in the sky on a derech or is it not on a derech? I am traveling from one destination to a second destination from place A to place B but I'm not traveling through a derech. I'm going in a very unconventional way, I'm flying in the sky. Is that considered a derech, is it not? And that's a machle, because the minigo alim is definitely to say tefillah even when they're flying on an airplane. Ship is, no, a ship is definitely called a derech, because we bench, we, we bench goimel on a ship. Because in the time of Chazal, it was a conventional method of traveling. So they incorporated all that in the derech. But that wasn't the time of Chazal, right? Uh, the Wright brothers, whoever they were, hadn't discovered flying. And therefore, it's not incl- encompassed in the word derech. And therefore, it's a machlek. Yeah, you, you, I'm, not, I'm not arguing with you. The minig is like you, like you say. But we will discuss a bit later why there is another angle why not to say, or at least not in the same manner that we do, with a train and a car and an airplane and etc. We will come back to that a bit later. Tzilesa derech must be said, can only be said once you've left the city. Leaving the city is again uh, where the beginning of the difficulty starts because a city is not when you leave your home and it's not when you actually enter the motorway it's when you've actually left the city the city stops ends not at the last house of the city but what we call the Ibuha'ir 70 Amas after the last home now if you would have one home 69 Amas from the previous home and another one 69 Amas away from that another one 69 Amas away from that you haven't left the city until you've travelled 70 Amas away from the last house of the city. You go find me where the last house in London is when you're traveling up the M1, you're going to struggle. You really are going to struggle. It's an almost impossible thing to know. So again, the minig is, that's, the ideal is to only say it when you've left the city. But the Eved, the Arpaskim will say, but the Eved, that if you intend, you're setting, setting up, you're setting down in a car to travel or in a train to travel out of the city, you can say it even if you are in the city. So what we do is, the minig is, that you get in your car and you travel up the M1, and when you bear think you're around about away from London, you've just, you've crossed the border, you're out of London, then 
70 amas, which is not very far, which is about 40-something uh, uh, meters, it's, it's not very much, you can then begin to say to the Saderach. And even if you end up, you haven't quite left London, it's not the end of the world, because many Paschim hold that even if you're still in the city, with the Ebed, you can say the Brocha. So, you're setting off on your journey, you're going up north to Gateshead, and you're sitting in your car, and you're starting your way up the M1. Give yourself a good few minutes, because not far, to, almost till, till Watford, you're, you're still in London, so you've got to get yourself out of London. When you're out of London, you then can begin to think about saying Tfilis Now here comes the second issue with Tfilis and this is where the complications of Tfilis start. Tfilis can only be said if you're going on a certain distance of journey, and only if that journey takes you a certain distance away from your town. So Chazal fixed that Tfilis can only be said if you're traveling one parasol, away from your town. If you intend to travel less than one parcel away from your town, then you don't need to say Tfilis And the reason for that is that the, when you're within the close proximity of a town, Chazal understood that there's very little worry and very little danger. There's no highwaymen in the close proximity of a town because they know they're risking it. The, 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 the authorities will come and find them. There's, uh, wild animals don't find themselves within the parcel. I'll tell you how much a parcel is in a moment. Uh, uh, wild animals don't find themselves in the proximity of a town. You might find a few foxes, but not wild animals. They're worried. They're scared of of, of, uh, of the humans, so therefore they keep themselves at a distance. So within a parasol, Chazal said, there's no sakona, and therefore you don't have to say to Saderach. A parasol in kilometers is 4.7 kilometers, around about three miles roughly. So if you're traveling on a journey less than three miles, there's nothing to talk about. If you're traveling a journey more than three miles, then you have to say to Saderach. But then you say to Saderach within that three mile period. That means you've left your city, you're, you're 40 meters away from the city, wherever it is, you're 70 hours outside, outside, past the last house of the city, you're driving out long, then, and then within the next three miles, you say, that is the Lachat Chilo. The problem begins, and this is where the problem starts, and this is already the Mr. Brewer remains with the Sarachin. He says, what would happen if I'm traveling, I've left my city, and I'm leaving London, and this is a phenomenon which you will find right across Britain, and perhaps... Most, most, I suppose if you went to the outback in, in, in Australia and, and into certain areas in America, you might find it. But most cities, you, most uh, countries, you will have this problem. Where are you on a motorway more than three miles away from a city or from a town or from a village? If you drive up the M1, there's invariably going to be within three miles of somewhere behind you, in front of you, or to the right or the left, a town. And the Mishnah has a suffolk here. If we say that within, within the parasol, within three miles of a town, there's no sakon and you can't say Tfilis Aderech, does that mean that you can only say it if you're going to travel three miles away from your town where you started your, the beginning of your journey? Or does that mean you mustn't be in the vicinity of three miles of a town? And he remains with, he doesn't know the answer. He says, sorry, and he doesn't know, says Mishnah Baruch. I don't know the answer to that. And according to that, it would come out that if I travel up to Gateshead, I am never more than three miles away from, I can go all the way up to, to, to John O'Groats. I will n- almost never be more than three miles away from a town or a village. It doesn't exist. Yes, in, in certain areas in, in, in Australia, maybe in the wilds of, uh, of the prairies of America, maybe I will. But in the average journey that I travel from one town to another, I am never more than three miles away. So according to Mishnah Brewer, the whole Twitter is out the window. It's out the window. It doesn't exist. It doesn't start. However, the Minigah Olam is not like the Mishnah Bura. The Chaznish, and the Chaim Kanyeski is made from the Chaznish. The Chaznish was Mekel, and he said that if you are traveling a distance of more than three miles from the start of your, your, of your journey, from your town, 
Even though there might be towns on this side, that's irrelevant. Your journey, that is called your derech, and that's what Chazal meant when they said you should say to us a derech. They just didn't want you to say it if you're going to stop your, your, your journey within three miles of your own town. But if you're going to move away more than three miles from your own town, even if there might be cities and towns to the right and to the left, which are within this sheer parcel, which is within these sheer three, three miles, you still say to us a derech, and that is a minute. Nobody's asking you to take a map and start measuring uh, on an atlas or on, on a an ordinance survey map exactly how many houses there are where we, we have to be saying because otherwise the whole sort of derech is out the window so the halacha of the minig is like this what we do is we get on the car we start driving up the M1 when we feel we think well, we're, we're outside London you have to crane your head around to see if you can see any houses because you're, you're defeating the purpose of Tzvila Saderich you when you make the assumption that I've now passed London you can say Tzvila Saderich because even with the Ebed even if you're not out of London it's fine as long as your journey is, is a journey of more than three miles from the end of London, so you're moving somewhere up the, the motorway and you're coming out three miles out of London, even though I'm going to pass St. Albans on the way and I'm going to pass, I don't know, workshop on the other side and I don't know exactly which, all the different towns on the way, and all the way along the M1 there's little towns and villages, etc., on, on the right and the left, that's irrelevant. You're, you're journeying more than three miles from the start of your destination, from the edge of the town where you started your, sorry, your journey, you say, Phyllis Hadera. Are we clear? This brings us to the next conundrum when it comes to Tfilas Aderech. Chazal said that you can only say Tfilas Aderech if you're travelling a parcel. Now, in the time of Chazal, travelling took place mainly by your two legs. You put a, back, a little backpack on your, on your shoulder and you walked the parcel. A parcel takes around about, according to Chazal, 72 minutes for the average person to walk. So, when Chazal said you have to travel a parcel, are they talking in distance or are they talking in time? Now, if I travel a passenger with a car, assuming that I stick to the, uh, to the uh, speed limit, the national speed limit, it'll take me a few minutes, if that. If I walk it, it'll take me 72 minutes. So can I say Tzvil within my three miles? And does the journey that I take have to be a journey of only three miles? Or does it know? Do I have to have the 72-minute journey in a car? So which will be uh, almost around about 70 miles, 80 miles. That again is a big controversy in, 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 in the Poskim, a big controversy. But here the Mishnah Brewer already does, sorts the problem out for us, and he says that the quoting from the Agud and the Kolbo, who are two earlier Rishonim, who say that on a ship you do say Tzvila Saderech, and again a ship goes faster than a man walks, and they say you say Tzvila Saderech again with the same criteria as normal Tzvila Saderech with a parser. says the Mishnah Brewer, it's quite clear that they take on that you look at the distance, you don't look at the time, and therefore, says the Mishnah in his time, trains have just, just begun, even if you're travelling on a train, he calls on a Markevis, if you're travelling on a train, you still say to within the norm, normal, the normal uh, time frame and distance, as we've discussed up until now. So, relying on the Mishnah Brewer, as we've said, you will get into your car, you will travel more than three miles, then, when you've left 70 amas from the, from the town, you make an, a, a rough calculation when you've left 70 amas from the town, Within the next three miles, you will say your Tzvila Saderich, as long as you're traveling more than a passer away from the town. If you forgot to say Tzvila Saderich within the first three miles, then be the average you can say Tzvila Saderich as long as you haven't arrived at your destination. If you arrived at your destination, you can't say Tzvila Saderich, it's too late. But if you're still on the journey, then be the average, even if you're past the three miles, you can still say Tzvila Saderich. Because ideally, you're supposed to say it when you're on the way. It's Tzvila Saderich, it's a Tzvila when you're on the way but, but that's not called on the way it is very difficult I agree with you, you what you're saying is a Taz the Taz says exactly like you're saying there is, the Taz on the Shulchan Aruch says like you're saying 
But the halacha we take on, ideally you should be on the way when you say to the Seder. If you're traveling long distance, you booked yourself a holiday home somewhere in the Alps in Switzerland and it's taking you 18 hours to get there. How many times do you say Tfilis Aderich? Now here, the, the halacha tells us you don't say Tfilis Aderich more than once a day. So even if you're going to be stopping for a break and you rented a room for a couple of hours in some motel and you lay down and you went to sleep for the afternoon for a couple of hours and then you, you continue your journey, you will not say another Tfilis Aderich. The same journey, the same day, is considered the same journey. You don't make say another Tfilis Aderich. If you stop for the night, the next morning you continue your journey, you would say Tfilis Aderich. You'd have to say a new Tfilis Aderich the next day. If you're journeying right the way through without stopping, uh, you're traveling 18 hours straight and you're not going to stop anywhere for the night to make a, a night's break and <coughs> settle yourself down for the night, even if you stop off for a short while just for a breather, but if you don't settle yourself down for the night, then you don't make a new Tfilis Aderich. It's considered the same journey. You cannot say a second Tfilis Aderich. Are we clear? Do we need to repeat anything? Because it, it's reasonably complicated. It starts from the 17 Amos at, at the end of your city, which is about. So you give a rough. It's it's, it's impossible to know. It's impossible to know. So a rough idea where London ends is somewhere before, just before Watford. Somewhere is uh, probably where London ends and. Um, or maybe at Watford and you know it's very difficult to know it's, it's, it's almost impossible on the plane as it, to goes, as it taxis and goes up in the air once it's up in the air you're out of London <laughs> you'll have difficulty to get home if you, if, even if you wanted to On the journey during the day, it doesn't matter. They don't say. Yeah, but that's not cool. You've got to stop off. Right. Even though they're, they're still journeying, they're journeying sleeping, but they're still journeying. This brings us to the final bit of Tfilis Aderich, and then we'll move on to one or two more interesting halachas. They're all different. Well, they're all interesting, but different halachas. The final bit of Tfilis Aderich, as we mentioned before, we'll come back to it. The we said we mentioned we'll come back towards the end of the year. Tfilis Aderich was set up in the order of a bracha. He starts off Yeratzin and finishes off Baruch Atah Hashem. However, there is a slight difference to the bracha of Tfilis Aderich than a normal bracha. A normal bracha, which is a bracha arucha, which is a long bracha, invariably starts off with a baruch and finishes, finishes with a baruch. Only a, tfilik, only a bracha ktsara, only a short bracha, like a bracha sanen, in the brachas we make on, on the shahakal, on food, etc., don't start off with a baruch and don't finish with a baruch. But a long bracha nearly always starts with a baruch and finishes with a baruch. The question here is, and this is a very big machlech sushenim, is Tfilis Aderich different? Did Chazal say, I know it's a long bracha, but we particularly set it up without the need to begin with a baruch? Or do you really have to begin with a baruch here as well? Now this is a very big machlech sushenim. The Shulchan Aruch quotes the Marami Rottenberg, who was the, the Rebbe of the Rosh, he was the, the uh, Rishon who was locked up in a in a, in a castle for, for ten years, uh, even after five years after he was nifter, the Marami Rottenberg writes in his Shochanach quotes him and he says that every bracha which is lo- a long bracha, even though it's a tefillah, but since Chazal 
finished off the bracha with Baruch Hashem, therefore he must start with a bracha as well. And therefore he held that you have to drink a, a cup of drink beforehand or eat a bit of food beforehand, say a Baruch Hashem, or go to be, to be excused and then say Ashiyotza, and then immediately say Hirotza. And that way you've got the bracha before, which is equal to a, a Baruch at the beginning, and then you've got Yehirotza with a bracha at the end. And the Shulchan Aruch quotes him. Other Yishanu say no. Here Chazal specifically set up the Tefillah of, of Tefillah Saderich without a bracha at the beginning for one or two reasons. Either because it's not a proper bracha, it's really a bit of a Tefillah, so therefore they made a differentiation and they didn't start it off with a Baruch. Or because if you're on a journey, there's always an element of danger there and they, therefore they didn't want to burden you with extra wording of adding the word Baruch at the beginning because therefore they said you don't need to say Baruch at the beginning. And the to those Rishonim, you don't have to. You can just say Yerotan straight out without worrying about eating or drinking beforehand. The Shulchan Aruch isn't clear. Mishnah Baruch says, again, as with all halachas and tefillah saderich, ideally, if you can, you should take a drink or have something to eat. Say Borinafoshis, say your alamichshar, whichever one it is. Say your ashiyotza, whatever it may be, and then say yihirotz and your tefillah saderich immediately after that. That way, you've fulfilled the criteria of tefillah saderich according to the Marami Rothenberg, and that's the ideal. However, now many Rishonim would disagree with that. If it's a bother for you, it's difficult. You're worried that you, you, you don't have to stop on your journey a hundred times, so you don't want to take a drink at the beginning of the journey. Whatever it may be, then. You don't have to be Mahmoud and you can say Yehirotzen without your Baruch at the beginning. Okay? So, Tvilas Adarech is an unclear halacha. I warned you before we started, they are not, it's not a clear-cut situation. My most halacha isn't clear-cut. But even I can't say to you, London starts and stops at a, at a given place. And I can't say to you that uh, don't drink or do drink beforehand because it's quite clear in Shulchan Aruch that at times you should and you shouldn't, but if you can't, you can't, as with a lot of the halachas in Tvilzadarech. That gives us a broad idea of Tvilzadarech with all its difficulties, but hopefully you'll, you'll be less muddled, and when you do go on a journey, you'll be able to roughly say Tvilzadarech more or less at the right time uh, and in the, in the right manner. One person can say it for everybody. One person can say it for everybody, that's fine. Ideally, the gentleman who's driving shouldn't say it. <laughs> no, and I mean that seriously, because because just like ideally you should stand up in order that you should be able to concentrate and that's really the purpose of standing so even if with the average you're saying he's sitting because you can't stand but the gentleman who's driving he's definitely busy doing something else so he's going to have less concentration than anybody else so somebody who's not driving should say they have these hanging from the uh, from the mirror Tfilis Adaris etc and uh, probably you can get them on your on your GPS machines and, and I don't know where okay let's move on to just a few more halachas which are, might come your way on if you're touring on holiday. Somebody who sees large mountains or large hills or the sea has to say, But when we're talking about a large mountain, we're talking about large mountains. If you go to the Swiss or the French Alps or areas like that, which you haven't seen for a while, then for 30 days, then you have to say, Somebody goes, who enters into a basic forest, which is something which is quite quite common when you're touring around countryside and you come across Jewish Beisbotic forests so you go in to visit them we should know that there is a bracha that has to be said every time you enter a basic forest if you haven't been to a basic forest within the last 30 days you have to say a bracha now, I don't expect you to write that down, but you, you will find it in most brachas. Do take it along with you if you have a, 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 any 
any uh, thoughts of passing by and entering into old Basi Kvarim that you will see around? It's a bracha which should be said in most of our Basi Kvarim. We have uh, it, it's up on in, on stone uh, before you enter into the Basic Kvarim. But it's something that you should know before you go around. It's a bracha that should be said. You have to wash your hands too. Yeah, sure. If you find a single caver, which is also something that you might come across in, in, in touring around the countryside, a single Jewish caver in the middle of nowhere, then you don't make the bracha, because the bracha, Chazal instituted the bracha in, in the plural tense, uh, eschem, 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 and therefore on a single caver you don't make the bracha. Making this bracha, it, it doesn't mean that you have to enter into the basic forest. If you pass by the basic forest and through your, your car window, you see the kvarim through the fence, that also it requires you to make the same bracha and you would have to say the same bracha of Ashiyosa Eskom Bedin. And the same applies to seeing the mountains or seeing the yam, etc. If you were in your car and you saw it through your glass window, you would have to say that bracha. The glass window is considered a proper scene. If you pass by a non-Jewish Beisach Horus, and there is a posuk that the halacha tells us you should say, but not everybody is knowing to say it nowadays. It's a pasuk in Yemiyah and Dafnun. Boish imchem oid chafri ladatchem hine achris goyim midbatzia ba'arevo. It's a pasuk in, in Yemiyah and Dafnun in Pegnun. So if you look it up, you will find it there. It's a uh, pasuk which is said when you see a, a, a basic chorus of the of the non-Jews. Don't look. And they are hidden in it. They have a, se- a section for for, for so Jews. So then it's only a kever yachid. So it'll be only be a single. So then you should say a bracha. Yeah, you should say a bracha. It is forbidden to enter into any building that has any connection to Avodah Zarah. It's something which you might come across again if you're touring stately homes or you're, you're touring um, different parts of the country in, in, around Europe. You might ent- uh, you might come across historical and tourist sites which are connected to Avodah Zohar you should know that it's also to enter into any house which is has any connection to Avodah Zohar it's, uh, it's al Tifna Lalilim it's a Pasuk in the Torah if, if they charge entry then you are, you are even a bigger problem because you are then given money to the up, for the upkeep of an Avodah Zohar and therefore that should be also here we're talking about literally Avodah Zohar but going into a cathedral the Dark Chuba tells us going into a cathedral or anything like that is also forbidden and one shouldn't go in unnecessarily if you look out the window and you can see anything I don't see you might just see clouds <laughs> if you there's another bracha which uh, the halacha tells us though again is the minig isn't so isn't it, it's, not, it's not a minig not to say it but people have just forgotten and don't, don't bother saying it if you see beautiful shoes Shulchanach tells us if you see Beautiful shuls. There's a, a, a bracha which Chazal instituted is a baruch matziv gvul amona. I don't think it's printed in, in, in the sidurim. If anybody particularly wants it, I will uh, print it out for you. A lot of people don't say it today, but it's something which perhaps if you, you do go around the country and you see old beautiful shuls, which they do exist in different different parts of the country, it's a bracha which the Gemara says one should say. Uh, finally, you should realize that if you do enter into shuls 
um, uh, when you're touring around different parts of the country, different parts of the world, you must remember a shul always remains a shul. Irrelevant if anybody doesn't there today, there's no minyanim there, there are minyanim there. Irrelevant whether you're walking there as, as a tourist, or you're going there to Dublin, or a shul remains a shul, must always be treated as a basic knesset. So therefore, the halachas of a basic knesset, and the decorum which a basic knesset deserves, uh, the not treating it with kalas roish, not eating inside the basic medrash, etc., uh, being careful about what, how one speaks, and not speaking unnecessarily, all that remains in place, even in a shul where you're going in just to see how beautiful and uh, as, as a tourist. That brings us to the end of the, of the halachas. There's many more halachas which are applicable when you're away on holiday, but this gives us just some a brief, broad spectrum of, of halachas that you might come across. Just to finish off with a very short of the um, Pasha's Matos invariably falls in the middle of the three weeks. Um, Pasha's Matos discusses the halachas of a neder, of somebody who makes a, a promise, and Chazal tell us that a neder is commissioned not a kilu bona bomber. The making a neder is equal to building a bomber is a, a small mizbeach, which in the time of before the, the base of was built, you were allowed to build your own mizbeach in your back garden and be makriv kabonis. It's kilu bona bomber. It's as if you've been makriv kabonis. The purpose of a neder and the way a neder works is, is for instance, I have a, a I make a neder on myself that I don't want to eat this food or I don't want to partake of this of this uh, enjoyment, or I'm not going to be involved in, in, in this activity. A nether is something which makes, forbids you on something which really should be mutter. So the element of a, of a nether is equal in a, in a, to a degree with a carbon. The purpose of a carbon is using the mundane world, using the physical world, wow. using the animal, and you bringing the animal towards elevating yourself to, to, to some kedusha, to some spirituality. The nether does exactly the same thing. The nether is, take the normal world, the world which is mutter, the world which seems to be a world which I'm allowed to partake of, but instead of just using it for my own benefit, turn it into a spiritual drive, turn it into an ability for me to elevate myself, that's the purpose of an Eden. The three weeks, and we've discussed this many times, the three weeks, uh, the Swarm tell us that the word sorrow and the word, and the word Ratsa, say have the same letters. Sorrow is Sadi Reish and Ritzay, the Renshan wanting, the Ratsing of the HaKadosh Baruch are the same letters. The only difference is that they're muddled up. That sorrow means HaKadosh Baruch wants you, and the purpose of the Rebbein Shalom, the purpose of sorrow is HaKadosh Baruch wants you to see and see the Ritzay, see where the Rebbein Shalom is, even in the sorrow. To enter into the sorrow and elevate the sorrow and turn that sorrow from its sorrow into its say, that's the purpose of all, of, of, all sorrows, that's the purpose of all Golas. Min says the Baal Shem Tov, when you're in the, in the uh, area which is binding you, which is, which is preventing you from breaking out, which is locking you in, at that point you meet the Rebbein Shalom, you find the Rebbein Shalom, then the Rebbein Shalom will be on Noni Bamechav Ka, the Rebbein will respond and he will answer everything that you want. That's the purpose of the three weeks and that's why Pasha's Matos is always invariably read in the three weeks because the idea of a nether is to turn the physical, to turn the world, that you, the world which seems to be a world of just pure benefit, benefit for yourself, turn that into finding the brain shenom, even where the brain shenom doesn't seem to be, that's the message for the three weeks, even though we're in a time of sorrow, it's a time of, of, of golos, it's a time of darkness, it's a time of trouble, turn that trouble into the, into the rotten of the brain shenom, turn the sorrow into the say, go through the, the three weeks, looking and finding the brain shenom, on the contrary, the, the preparation for the holidays is not a time where one should begin to forget about the brain shenom, on the contrary, one should be now making our, 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 our preparations for Elul, we should be making our preparations to make sure that our holiday is a holiday which is kosher and, and uh, kept according to Allah and Chas we don't let our guard down, that's the true, pre- true preparation for, 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 for the holidays, and that's the, 
the purpose of the three weeks coming up, leading up through to, to the holiday time. Not the, on the contrary, that we should remain in the Torah, remain in the darkness through the holidays. But to turn the, the Torah into the Ritzay, we will be Zeichet to Anani Bamech of Kav. We will have a fantastic holiday. We will be able to see the Rain Shalom right away through our lives. And be Zeichet to the true Giddish Chinnabez Hashem. The BSI Girls and Hebe Amen.